1: Except city. I am your host, Joe Ucello, Sir Bob, Mike Orr, my co-host, Rob Rojas, my trusted co-host, Ben the Machine. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 368 of Low Limit Football on this 29th of September, 2022. I'm your host, Joe Ucello, and tonight, the finalists of the UEFA Nations League has been set with Spain Italy, Croatia, and host Netherlands making it to the semifinals. The final international break of 2022 is complete, and it is 52 days until kickoff of the World Cup in Qatar. Who's stock is up? Whose stock is down? We're gonna discuss that and much, much more with our very special guest, Mr. Ralph Hanna from Guinness World Records and Guarani Vision Podcast, who will be joining us in just a little bit. But first, let me get my co host in here, Mr. Roberto Rojas. You had a pretty good week, my friend.
2: I definitely did, but it's you know, it's even crazier to believe that we're just, you know, literally fifty days away from the World Cup. It's it's insane. It's gone by fast and you know, it's. Uh, I'm starting to feel it right now, as as you and I are um, here, based in Connecticut, as the weather starts to get a bit colder. In my mind, is thinking, oh no, winter's coming. But on the back of my other mind, is thinking, wait a minute, <laughs> the World Cup's coming. That's yeah. what matters at this point. The, the
1: the The problem for me personally on my work schedule is to figure out how to finagle my schedule to either take days off, or not schedule myself with appointments so that I can catch the matches that I want to catch. Um. And thankfully for us, the the World Cup kicks off uh, on a holiday week here in the United States. It's Thanksgiving that week. And so many people are going to be off to begin with, especially when the USA faces England on Black Friday, which is not traditionally a holiday. It's more of a shopping holiday. But um, you could see the, uh, the potential for big, big, big viewership numbers, especially that first week of the World Cup.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think right. uh, we'll definitely talk about the U.S. in a, in a bit, but... If it is the second game, but I
1: think it's all gonna
2: be dependent on what happens in the first game yeah. against Wales that might be the uh the factor in, in viewership numbers.
1: Yeah, you're gonna wanna probably take that Monday off. I think it's Monday that they play that first match and Probably going to want to take that day off uh, because that first match against Wales is going to be a big one. Um, Speaking of World Cup, uh, you know, we should probably let the listeners know that you and I have been um, feverishly working. You more so than me, my friend. um, But we have been feverishly working on our World Cup previews. And we're almost halfway done with our project. uh, and, And we're looking to release it. Sometime in the next two to three weeks, uh, we're going to release it by group, uh, like we've been saying, uh, but we've had some fantastic guests, guests, some great insight, and it's going to be an incredible, incredible series of podcasts that we're going to have out, so make sure you guys keep an eye out for it um, and listen up. You'll want to subscribe to our um, you know, Spotify, you want to subscribe to Apple Podcasts for us Wherever you get your podcasts And make sure that you're notified You know, follow us on Twitter as well And the minute it comes out, we'll be tweeting it And you'll you'll see it So it's going to be great to, to prep yourself for the 2022 World Cup So let's jump into the show proper here I know we haven't done one in a couple weeks Because we've been off with the inter- international break And working on that project um, But you, my friend, have the trivia question So if you don't mind, um, what you got this week?
2: So I'm going to keep it World Cup-centric, just Mm -hmm. for you. Um, And obviously, you know, the World Cup is such a big thing. And certainly, I think for the managers, it must be the hardest part uh, for all these 32 guys to really pick out a team. You know, it's it's, it's interesting to say the least that, you know, all these 32 managers have to have the choice of picking players who might play in their first, might play in their second, third, or fourth World Cup. Mm -hmm. And then having to leave out some that maybe will never play in one. But... Having said that, there are a certain number of managers who are going to this World Cup who have had the fortune of playing into a World Cup. So the question to you is, can you give me the number of managers, different managers I should say, who have played in a World Cup and are managing it at this one as well?
1: Who have played and are managing at this one.
2: So wow. the managers, the current managers of all the 32 teams in this World Cup, there are only a few mm-hmm. that have played previously at a World Cup, wow, and man. now they are managing a team at this one.
1: That's a. Can fun, you give me the number? That's a fun question. That's a great question. Um, I've got a couple of names that come to mind already. I know I have to give you just a number, but just a number. Uh, you
2: don't have to give me names. Bonus points if you can give me some names oof. because there are some who. There are some that you should know as well because you've probably seen them play mm-hmm. but um yeah, just give me the ones who have played in a world cup and will be managing at this specific world cup
1: great question we will get you the answer to that at the end of the show uh so let's jump into our opening thoughts topic for tonight because we're going to we're going to be heavy focusing uh forward on the uh on the World cup based on what we saw this uh this past week and a half uh in the international break. And we're going to start with you and I. We're going to discuss the U.S. Men's National Team. So one of those managers that'll be on the list is Greg Berhalter, and and I think he'll come into focus. Now the U.S. Men's National Team played a duet of World Cup uh, prep matches on their way. A couple of friendlies, losing two nil to Japan in um, I believe in Germany on the first one, and then in the second match in Spain, losing I'm sorry, drawing nil nil with uh, what was highly regarded as a Saudi Arabia B squad um the us doesn't manage to score a goal in 180 minutes there's still questions of the uh who they will bring uh to the, to the World Cup at the number 9 position, there's still a big question there. There's a big question of who the center-back pairings will be for the U.S. Men's National Team, given that Miles Robinson is still going to be out with his Achilles injury and will not make the World Cup. So there were some some trial and error there in this particular window. There's questions at, at goalkeeper right now for the U.S. Men's National Team, although Matt Turner did start both matches. Um, there's wingback questions. There's questions in the midfield. There's a lot of questions here. And there's also, of course... With the questions of the team itself and the 26-man roster that's going to go, uh, according to Greg Berhalter, which will be announced on November 9th, there's questions of Greg Berhalter, of course. So, Roberto, I want to start off with your uh, impression of this particular week, uh, this week's matches for the U.S. Men's National Team. Were any questions that you may have had uh, leading up to this, uh, this moment, were they answered? No.
0: Okay. No,
2: they weren't. Um, I think <laughs> scoring no goals in, in two games says it all, really, <laughs> as, if, as, as if any questions were ever answered um, in that case. But, yeah, it's it really is. I mean, look, I, I think Berhalter said it best. I mean, they definitely did not look up to their standards. And, you know, I think anyone with a, with a good soccer mind and even any neutral, really, or doesn't matter how big of an expert you are, I think you could see that they didn't play very well in any of the two games against Japan. You know, you and I both saw it. How I think they were outplayed, mm-hmm. significantly outplayed by a really organized Japanese side that, you know, um, we're going to talk about in our in our World Cup previews. That are going to be a team that I think for any part of the any team in the world is a uh, is going to be uh, one of those one not not a sleeper I should say, but definitely a dangerous one for for any team if they're not prepared and I think the U.S. fell victim to that. We saw that significantly how this team was completely outclassed on on all levels. I think really in the midfield you saw this team you know try to get into reckless challenges and then try to make things difficult whereas they're not trying to find any ideas moving forward. I think you didn't see a lot from from really anyone from the attacking um, line and you know it, it really took a a lot of stops by, by Matt Turner to try to do something, but, you know, I thought the defense was shaky. You know, mm-hmm. I thought the way that we move forward in, in transition where the wingers, you know, were fullbacks, I should say, with Dest and those players are going forward and, and you know, you don't see that kind of, you don't see those kind of spaces being open and, you know, it's, it's lack of... I'd say finishing and, and composure, and I thought it was I thought it was really lackluster to say the least. And then against Saudi Arabia, yeah, I mean, you would think that in the game where you know, as for all intents and purposes, what we were told that it was really a B side, and we were told pregame that if the U.S. isn't able to get a result against them, then we have a problem, and we definitely saw that in the nil nil. I mean, mm-hmm. I think the play was slow. I think we definitely did not demonstrate any sort of creativity really and it poses a lot of questions as to who are these players that are really going to be vital i mean i don't want to say that this is the best that we have and you know i think because the u.s thankfully has kind of a a a big list of debt but how much of that debt is actually useful is it really just players to make up the numbers or are they just you know there that are of, of big quality i don't know but from what i saw i just i didn't think really that this team can indeed compete in the world cup at least at this moment i think yes it's a different environment i think these players know i think Greg brohalter knows i think a lot of fans know that it's a things have to switch up when it comes to playing a friendly to then playing in a world cup but i think you need to play these games to get your ideas right because you don't Mm -hmm. see these players too often and then once you're stuck together for, for a couple weeks at least um in in a in a country like Qatar, I think that's when, you know, you start to really realize, okay, what have we learned from these friendlies? What can we improve on? And I think from now, from my kind of final thoughts, it's it's a lot. It's a lot that we have to move on.
1: Yeah, you know, I you know, starting off, I, I wanna go to um you know, what what you said about, you know, we knew what's what was coming with this Japanese side we knew the Japanese side was going to be very organized. We've said that we've said it in our, in our world cup preview um, that will be coming out. We've said it time and time again. One of the characteristics of the Japanese national team is the fact that they are very, very disciplined and organized and they, and they attack you and they defend you both ways, Disciplined and organized. And you know, you saw this Japanese side, you knew the U S wanted to play out of the back, right? That's what we're working on. And, um, the Japanese side understood this, uh, attacked it, and and attacked it by defending high. You know, they're, they're, if, I don't know if you noticed it. Their, their line was very high. And they challenged the U.S. to play out of the back, uh, asking questions of Aaron Long and, um, and Walker Zimmerman to be able to play out of the back, something that they're not really accustomed to uh, at their club team. So for me, the question becomes twofold. Do you, as Greg Berhalter... Change what Long and Zimmerman and Robinson and Ream and and all the others, all these other options. Do you change what they do at their club level uh, when you bring them to the national team? Because there's a massive risk in that. You have to also understand that you need to be able to play through the back um, and into the midfield and then and then forward. And that link up just wasn't there for me. Uh, now, do we give Japan credit for their high press? Uh, yeah, I mean, we should. I, they they did a great job of it. I think the two goals were really based on turnovers. So we should give them credit for that because they did exactly what they needed to do to defend against uh, what many would say is a more talented U.S. men's national team side. But then you saw many of the same problems come out of the Saudi Arabia match where they weren't able to link up that play. I think, you know, if I saw the stat correctly, and I'm not positive on this one, I think the U.S. only managed just a couple of shots on goal in both matches. That's an embarrassment. Um, I know we have questions of the number nine. You know, who do we use? Do we use Ricardo Pepe? Do we use Jesus Ferreira? Do we use um, Josh Sargent? For me, I think Greg Berhalter has to answer that question himself with, whoever's the hot hand. When we get to, you know, early November, we look at where we stand. Is Josh Sargent the guy scoring all the goals? Okay, if he is, then boom, that's our guy. That's it. Um, is it Jordan Pifak? You know, is it Jesus for uh, coming off of the MLS season? Who is that guy that gets us the best opportunity? Looking at our opponents as well, looking at the defenders in Wales, looking at the defenders in England. Who is the guy that gives us the best opportunity to do what we need to do to score goals? Because right now, goals are—they're gone. They're just not there that is going to be one of the biggest questions. Now, you know, playing out of the back, do we do that? I think at this point, you know, you know, Greg Burhalter has gone to bed with that, right? I think this is the way he wants to play this team, how he wants to play this tournament. He wants to play out of the back, and I'm not arguing against it. I just think he needs to be prepared to change his tactics to, based on his team and their performance because if we can't play out of the back, if Wales does put a lot of pressure on us to to start, then we're going to need to change up what we're doing to make sure that we can get that ball forward. Otherwise we're going to be in a nightmare. So does that mean starting a a bigger number nine, like a Ricardo Pepe or a Jordan P. Falk would be another one of those options. You know, or, or even Haji Wright, um, who was who came in the last window and is a, another big target man. You know, do you use one of those folks or do you just uh, simply, you know, go with a smaller guy like Jesus Ferreira and try to be a little more dynamic in terms of what you want to do and how you want to attack? These are gonna be the questions I think that Burhalter needs to answer. I think the midfield is set. I think he's gonna go in a 4-3-3. I think he's gonna go with McKennie, Musa and, and Tyler Adams uh, in the midfield. I think Polisic on one side. The question on the other side becomes, is Gio Reyna healthy? Is Brendan Aaronson healthy? Is Timothy Weah healthy? Uh, Whichever one of those three that is in form, in their best position, and ready to go, that's your guy. The middle, obviously, Josh Sargent, Ricardo Pepe, uh, Jesus Ferreira, Jordan Pifak, Haji Wright. You've got to bring three of them, I think. Which three do you bring? Bring the three that give you the best opportunity to get out of the group. I think you need to focus on that. And I don't know that... Greg Burhalter got those answers. I'm going to ask you that question real quick, Roberto Rojas. Do you think Greg Burhalter got the answer out of these two matches that tell him, these are the number nines I need to bring with me to Qatar? Do you think that answer came to him?
2: I mean, it would be very hard-pressed to not get an answer like that. I think you only have a few that were not on this team that you could indeed consider um, for the final squad. Um, so yeah, I'd say yes. I think he does get his answer because certainly when you don't see that kind of creativity and then certainly you don't see that kind of effectiveness and just being in, an overall target man and, and, and trying to create any chances on the attack, you can mm-hmm. see it there. And so I think for Halter's case, it's like, yep, I'm going to have to really now either instill my trust on these certain players but also understand that you know I'm not impressed and you know I think I really need to start looking at other alternatives and I know we didn't see p in this one but I think it would be very much a, a a very I'd say ludicrous decision to not take into this team for mm-hmm. for guitar.
1: I agree. I agree as well 100% at this point where we stand on September 29th if Jordan p is not on that list um, we've made a grave mistake. We've we've really made a massive mistake. I know there, are, you know, last momentary thing that I'm going to throw at you. I know there are people on, you know, in the Twitterverse, which of course you know governs the world. But there are of course many people calling for Greg Berhalter's head. Um, and if this were 2020, 2019, even even mid 2021, yeah, I'm I'm with you. You know, let's call for his head after this performance. This was awful. And, yeah, let's call for his head. But 52 days from the World Cup? No, no. yeah, no, don't, no. don't. We do not <laughs> don't, make this.
2: don't Don't, even think about it. Yeah, this is. Don't even think about calling for his head at
1: this th- point. This no. is, like they say, this is the girl you brought to the dance. This, this is it, you know? And I know that, you know, I, not that we're going to go down the Mexico road, but I know that, you know, we've talked to folks that have said that Tata Martino was on the chopping block before the World Cup down in Mexico, that they're that cutthroat. And I and I think at this point, 50 days before the World Cup, you can't fire your manager. Um, if you've if you if you're one of the 32 teams going to the World Cup and you fire your manager now, you've basically thrown out the World Cup, in my opinion. Don't you think? I mean, Spain did it one day before, and they yeah. made it to the uh, to the round of 16. So yeah. it's not the
2: unlikeliest option. But you know, the United States is not Spain, and neither is Mexico. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I think uh, yes, you you. You, in using your your girl to the dance reference you keep that girl for the for the week at least
1: for the remainder of the dance exactly and once the dance is over sure but not not before the dance you, you this is who you came with that's it so um, let's table our discussion of the u.s men's national team because you know there it was an international break not a u.s men's national team break so there's Plenty more to to digest from this particular break that we had the last break for the World Cup. So we are lucky enough to have Ralph Hanna join us from Guinness World Records to talk about the rest of the world. Um, South America, who I I think did a you know Argentina and Brazil, boy, they look pretty good. You know England, we're going to talk about them for sure. Uh, You know and a couple others, And, and even if you want the team that's not going, that looked great this week in Italy. So we can talk to them as well. So. Without further ado, the Ralph Hanna interview and joining us now on Low Limit Football from Guinness World Records and Guarani Vision, Ralph Hanna. Ralph, welcome back to the show. It's always a pleasure to have you on. I want to open quickly because we were just discussing the U.S. men's national team and we can always dabble um, into them in a little bit, but I want to focus over to Europe. Uh, Obviously, we've talked about that this is the last prep week or the prep uh, international break going in and we had Nations League matches in Europe so this was not something that was just a couple of friendlies here and there there was a little something on the line for the European sides as they ventured into this last break and I want to focus on England and Wales obviously um, both in the same group going into the World Cup in Group B with the U.S. and Iran uh, both Disappointing in their particular, uh, you know, finishing up their nations league. Both of them relegated to group uh, to uh, pot B of the nations league coming up for the next season. England not winning a match in their group in group three. Wales not very much better. Uh, England at least managed three draws. The Welsh only managed one draw at all. And um, and even though England uh, had a massive comeback against Germany in that final match, uh, ending up in a three-three draw the three goals that they scored in that match against Germany were only three of only four goals scored in the entire round for the nation's league for England as well. Um, you've got to, you've got to be down. I know there's, there's a lot of talk about Gareth Southgate and, and his job security, which I, I think, you know, has come up time and time again. What are your thoughts on England and Wales with their prep work through the nation's league going into this world cup?
0: Yeah, uh, hi, hi, Joe, hi, Roberto. Thanks for having me on again. But but you put me on the spot with the, in a difficult moment for for England, like he mentioned. I mean, I think the biggest thing uh, talking about England is is that they they've kind of ended these two these two games in the Nations League with maybe more questions that needed answering than before they went in. So. Now, there was, for example, let's talk about Harry Maguire, who's been heavily criticised at Man United, but there was always the idea that, well, for England, he was playing well. You go back to Euro, the Euro 2020, which was obviously in 2021, and he, he had a really good tournament. So so then there was always this feeling that for whatever's going on at, at club level, you can rely on him uh, in the national team. And now we saw, especially the game against against Germany that he's some of those errors and individual errors were were creeping in so now there's maybe a question mark over over him where there wasn't before. I think you could see there's um there's a commitment from southgate to to play with jude bellingham in in midfield and and have him as a starter but for all bellingham's talent and and how how good we know he can be. It, there's something that's not quite clicking and that can that can sometimes be the players around him or or coming into the system but but you didn't feel that Bellingham really was was a standout player in in either of those games that that he was used for so so suddenly there's a couple of questions i think also with Nick Pope he's he's been very good for for Newcastle but is he going to be england's number 1 do they go back to pickford do they think about ramsdale but it, it would be strange maybe to to bring Ramsdale in just for the World Cup as he hasn't been here in the build-up. So, so, yeah, I think these these performances have really just given a lot of questions and and a lot of doubts going into the, the the World Cup, which is the last thing I think England would have wanted.
2: And certainly, I don't want to put anyone on the spot here in terms of feeling fearful, but the only team to actually get a win um, in their in all their games in this international break, was Iran. They defeated Uruguay 1-0 in Austria, and they actually tied a, a really talented Senegal side as well. So I think for all the problems that probably England, the United States, and even Wales are having, I think Iran would probably be the one with the most confidence, Given, and this is a team that, you know, Ralph I mean, I think is is the one that is definitely the least favored to get out of this group, and... I, I, I think when you look at it as a whole, I think when this group was announced, I think it was going to be very difficult. I think it all depends on the country that you're from and, you know, perspective and, and you know talent on paper would think that uh, team, uh, England would at least go through and then it would be the battle between Wales, the United States and, and Iran. But I'm curious to think if, you know, that kind of confidence level and, and you know, this is an England side as well, that... Have only won two friendlies this entire year. They have not won a single Nations League game in 2022. So I'm curious to think, to ask if you feel as if though that kind of confidence that England fans are, you know, probably probably had a year ago, and it's definitely changed a year ago since they made that Euro final. That it's it's definitely decreasing, and I think it's time to put in the to turn on the panic button on this England side.
0: Yeah, I I, I don't know about about panic exactly if if that's the the way to go but i get i get the impression that yeah the confidence is ebbing away it's draining away and this is the worst time you you want that to happen because like you say the results just aren't being the, the results aren't accompanying the team but also the performances aren't aren't really uh, aren't really inspiring other than maybe those kind of i think 20 25 minutes against germany which was refreshing to see england actually scoring some goals but uh, but i agree with you is there's there's something isn't hasn't quite clicked or maybe it's tiredness um maybe there's there's just been there's just been too many games going on or maybe it's the fact that the the world cup's on the horizon and they took their eye off the ball in the in the nation's league which looking at some uh, some other teams around Europe it, it it could be said that's that's happened too there's there's teams that i think we know are, are capable of more let's say france for example that that haven't done as well in in nations league so we'll we'll have to see how it plays out i mean you're talking about the group i think that's that's england's one solace is that for wales it's it's been just as bad i mean i was looking at, at some of wales's um results and they just haven't they they just keep losing and they, they often score and lose, which is which is a worrying pattern, right? That they just they're, they're finding goals, but they don't have any of the kind of defensive quality to see out any wins. But again, you maybe think that kind of effort in June of, of getting to the World Cup and beating Ukraine, maybe that's kind of sapped all their energy for now and they're just getting ready for a for a second wind in in Qatar. And a, a quick point on Iran, they do have one player. Their their all-time top scorer is is uh, sorry, not their all-time top scorer. Their active top scorer is Sada Moon, who scored that that winner that that you mentioned. And his his goals per game ratio is almost as good as Harry Kane's at, at national level. So I mean, Iran, we remember from the from the previous time they are in the World Cup, was a very defensive and very solid. But if they can find these goals as well with a goal scorer then they could end up surprising England, Wales, USA who are all like you said like we're in this in this difficult time I suppose and and we're almost on a on a downward curve and it, it seems Iran are, are just coming up at the right time. And Joe actually I wanted to jump into you on this one because I haven't seen
2: people really say that and you know maybe this is just me thinking negatively because of how the United States have been performing and also how England and Wales have been performing but
1: is it time to say that this group is a toss up
2: that it can go either way and you know it's not as straightforward as one would think
1: I'll tell you after this last international break um there's no clear cut you know what i mean i i still think ultimately when you when you really get down to it based on just talent on paper You've got to think England number one. You've got to, in my opinion, you think I think you've got to think U.S. number two. Um, I think the Welsh will be very, very close, and uh, you know, I, I, ultimately, you've got to think that. But none of these sides, you know, are scoring goals. I mean, really, you think about it, Ralph, and you kind of alluded to it as well. You know, you look back at England; they've only scored four goals in the Nations League on this last uh, on this last break, aside from the twenty minutes. Um, where they where they scored those three goals against Germany? They really haven't they haven't scored at all. The Welsh, same idea. You know, you look at them; they lose one nil to Poland, they lose two one to Belgium. Uh, this is a Belgian side that did not really, you know, they didn't overperform in this particular Nations League competition, losing their last match of the break one uh, nil to the Netherlands. This is, you know you wonder where the goals are going to come from and then you you talk about iran you know scoring and beating uruguay and, and drawing senegal this is i think this group on paper like i said is england 1 us 2 but ultimately when the when the matches are played on the pitch this group is i think going to end up a lot closer than what many people think don't you think
0: yeah i can see i can see that especially with your point about teams finding it hard to score goals i mean england if you take away that the Harry Kane penalties, I think it, it does start to look a, a look a bit concerning for them. And if teams aren't really firing and scoring goals then then we're going to get much closer games. And of course in in these situations it can it could be a referee decision or it could could just be an individual error, talking specifically about England where we where we saw that against Germany that, that could decide these these games. So I think yeah, the calling it, I think it can be, a, it's fair to call it a, a toss-up because because of this this kind of closeness you can see from from no real team starting to shine or or take things away. And in England's case, just going back to them, I think the, this lack of goals, again, it, it's coming from not quite having the right combinations in, in midfield. So we have to see if, if Southgate's able to to sort that out on, in time for, for the World Cup. he Obviously, he doesn't have any games left, but he will have the training sessions. He'll have his video analysis, which he's going to have to do now in the next two months or or less than two months now, till the first game. But it's, yeah, I think it's going to be, it, it could be much closer than I, we originally thought when, when the draw was made.
2: And certainly looking at some of the teams that are going to this World Cup, I think some of them can feel very positive, some of them can feel very negative, but I want to stick to the positive end, because I think from a South American perspective, certainly, Ralph, you definitely have your fair share of intelligence in South America, but I think the two teams that I think could be very happy and very content um, are Brazil and Argentina, and, you know, I think we all know that Brazil have always been favorites for this World Cup in particular. Historically, they've always been there as well, but you look at them and you look at Argentina as well. Like I said, now 35 games unbeaten under Scaloni. Um, you know, it's very hard pressed not to consider them as favorites. I mean, do you see that way? Do you see it as those two? Do you think that there's still other teams that maybe are just a bit better than than one of them or or both of them at this point? I mean, what, what are your what is your take? I guess on from these both of these teams now, and then really, I guess the confidence that like, that you get at least from them. That they can indeed perform very well this World Cup and, and of course, contend to win it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean starting with, with Argentina, we've seen this as you said. They're they're on this incredible unbeaten run, and and we've seen that Scaloni managed to to do what I think previous managers had had really struggled, which was to get Messi in the position where he has responsibility, maybe as a, as a leader. But he isn't caged by that responsibility in terms of his expression on the pitch, and he's not trying to do everything himself, and he's not having to drop deep into midfield, which we I remember that was like a hallmark of um, Tampaoli's time when when you just found him, he was almost playing as a central midfielder. The person that they've got to do that really is Rodrigo De Paul. I think, well, Scaloni. I think it's the player he's used most in terms of minutes played during his time, even more than. The Messi. And with DePaul in, in midfield kind of really bringing that that ability to break the lines and, and moving teams around side to side, that's giving Messi the space when he can isolate opponents. I mean, he doesn't even need to isolate opponents one-on-one being Messi. He can have two or three, but if he gets a run at players, then we know how dangerous he is. And he, he did it in the game against Jamaica, which I know you were there, Roberto. He, he only needed... I think less than forty minutes to kind of make his his mark on that one. And so and so Argentina what they have as well is a is a really good, I think, balance as well. So so again, um, DePaul is is I think one of the key players in there. We talked about England not working out their midfield. Argentina certainly have the, the key thing for them leading up is is keeping keeping all those all those players fit and, and making sure they're they're fit in, in two months time. And then for Brazil, I mean, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of of uh, Tite. I know, I know sometimes he can be hard to watch for some people because often they play like this very long possession, patient football, and they're not always trying to to be too explosive. But we did see a different team, I suppose, or a different performance against um, Tunisia, where they where they scored five goals. I'm sure we'll see a more cautious team at the World Cup because that's just the way. Chiche has always tried to play but they have they've got so much talent around and and again like argentina they're not they're not dependent fully on on their one key player they, it's not all the neymar show they have rafinha they have paqueta they they have uh, even richarlison doing well they didn't even call up gabriel jesus which which is interesting to think that that they can afford to have him um again a key a key player for for Brazil is Casemiro. If you if you check the stats in terms of when Casemiro plays and Brazil's results, there's there's a there's a co- um, there's a, oh was the word there's a, a, a Oh, I forgot the word but basically there's a correlation. Can, correlation. That's what I was going. Go. I wanted to say coalition. And there's a correlation with those results because because Casemiro has been so key to allow those players to to attack and be free but but holding the the midfield and the anchor and again i mean if if those if it, those key players are, are fit these two are these two are right up there and i think they're they're in their best moment going into the world cup for for a long time i don't think these aren't the teams we saw in 2018 2014 that uh, i know brazil were favorites 2014 because of being at home but but there were so many kind of problems behind the scenes and and, and things not quite clicking, but they're both going into this now really on, on a great run of form and, and with a very balanced team.
1: You know, Roberto and I have been doing our World Cup uh, previews and we're going to we're kind of trying to focus on the group setup as well um, with with all groups. But I think after this particular uh, international break, we looked at Group C going into this Argentina, Saudi Arabia, Mexico and Poland. And, and then we, you know, we fast forward down to the uh, Brazilian group, which includes Serbia, Switzerland and Cameroon. I've got to think personally, I, I think the group for Argentina set up a little better than uh, the group for Brazil and Group G, but after looking at these results, I really feel like this is, this is Argentina's group. I mean, it's almost, you might as well put it in stone that they're going to be finishing top of the group. Brazil, I think will also finish top of the group, but I think their struggles, um, will be a little tougher getting through Switzerland and Serbia and Cameroon, which will all pose their own difficulties leading into the match. Don't you think?
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a very good point about the, the opponents Argentina have, um, I mean, especially Serbia. We're, we're we're talking about players that are good at international level. I mean, Mitrovic's goals per game ratio is incredible for um for Serbia. And and what we'll see is he's doing well at Fulham as well. So he's mm-hmm. coming in at a, on a really hot streak, and and that could cause a lot of a lot of problems for them. But then, yeah, then you have people like Switzerland that we know are, are more have a more tactical base and and could maybe frustrate argentina but then but then what we've seen and again what, what Scaloni's done really well is he's found he's always found answers to those those kind of setups because we mm. saw it in the qualifiers especially when argentina had to play at home against against teams they they didn't actually beat beat paraguay which was one of the few teams that, that took some points off them at home but but they they had teams that they had to break down and and that would sit and try and counterattack and and they were able to to do that and break that down so mm-hmm. so I do think with that with that kind of possibilities um they they have a good good chance of of getting through and 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 doing the right thing mm-hmm. so before we
1: let you go I want to ask you one last quick question looking back at this international break at some of the, the teams that uh, have played and how they performed, would you give me a three-up and three-down, meaning three-up, which teams do you think improved their perspectives going to Qatar, and which three teams do you think, um, you, you know, degraded in their perspectives going to Qatar? Okay.
0: I'll go, should I go three-down first? I guess i sure. go three-down first. I mean, England, as we talked about, I don't mm. think they are, they're not, they're not looking as as strong as say when when the draw was made, um, mm-hmm. with those results and, and we talked about that at length. I think France uh, France have so much quality that I would still maybe consider them up there one of the favourites, but but the results at the moment haven't haven't shown that. So heading into this, um, maybe not as as positive for France, and, and then also Germany because I, I felt that Germany were going to be following the, the euros I, I i felt they were going to pick up and and use that as a catalyst to to go on and and perform better but but we saw especially with the the game against england they they're not really a a finished article i think they're still certainly working in progress so i think which is interesting i picked three european teams there mm. but i think england france and germany haven't done themselves any favors um and then in terms of three up, well, I, w- I would definitely say Spain actually staying in Europe. I think Spain are, are, are quite exciting now. And what we've seen from Spain is, I think I'm writing saying they're the only European side that finished first in their World Cup qualifying group and has also um, done well in both Nations League and the Euro. So in in the last kind of four competitive tournaments, including qualifying for the World Cup, they're the only one that's that's maintained a high level. You have people like Italy that have done very well except for World Cup qualifying, or you have England who did very well except for this Nations League. But but Spain have managed to, to keep that level up there, and so these players are, are getting more time together. Luis Enrique knows his, his side very well, and I, I think they could be certainly one to watch. Um, and then and then I think Argentina as well as as we talked about just the length Argentina they, they're such a well well balanced side and, and they really have found their their kind of they're kind of eleven or they're fourteen I suppose of, of players that they will they will end up using so they they've definitely done them very well and then hmm, the other one I'm, I'm at. I'm a toss-up between Brazil and Netherlands, but I think mm. I would say Netherlands because that that result against Belgium was was very interesting in it, and it just shows that that they were able to to kind of grind out the the results and maybe that's something that that I hadn't put them down for um, previous to this. So I think I'll go for for Netherlands more than Brazil because I guess I already have Brazil up there. So if we're talking about movers. Then, then, Netherlands are, are my third one.
1: Roberto, what do you think? What what's your three up, three down right now?
2: Yeah, I, I think for three up, I think I'll take Brazil, and Argentina out just because I think they've always been considered the favorites, and they're on good unbeaten streak as well. So I'll take those two out. Uh, I agree with Ralph. I think the Dutch definitely look like a side that are very impressive, to to say the least. And I think you know the game against Belgium was certainly a a kind of a of a of a result for them to to indeed be, you know, I'd say not pretenders, but definitely um, a team that can indeed challenge for this World Cup as they typically do with their talent. Um, so i put them up there. Um, I'd also agree with Spain. I think Spain definitely looked good on on all levels. Um, and, you know, Luis Enrique has really tried to manage this side very well. And so I think they definitely go up there. And I think for the third one to go up, I'm going to say... Um that's tough really I like Denmark
1: hmm.
2: I like Denmark I think they they the the result against France and you know, I think the three down are for me at least are France, England and um I'll say. I'll say the U.S. as well. Why not? Yeah. Or, so I'll take those three yeah. um, in the uh, the three up and three down.
1: You're taking a lot of my thunder because I think for me, I definitely want to put the Dutch there. I think they are playing some magnificent football. I think they are they're running pretty high right now and they're in they're dangerous. You took my thunder on Denmark. Uh, being able to to down France twice in the Nations League, including in this particular international window, I think speaks volumes for them. I, I know that. They got a massive push giving that their their solidarity after uh, what happened with Christian Erickson at the uh, at the euros last year I, I you know you understand the solidarity and the and the and the push the fight for them um, that either that has carried over for a year with you know carried over so well that Christian Eriksson's playing for them now or they're just that good uh, and I think it's the second, not the first. I really do think that the Dutch are that good they're that well organized. Um, my third toss up, I, I want to go outside the Euro, Euro American realm, I, you know, and I'm having I'm having trouble deciding, but I think I'm going to go with Iran on this one just because of, of their performance. One nil over Uruguay, um, nil nil draw against the African champions in Senegal. I think those are massive, massive results. And you couple that with the three down, you know, you would I would love to just give you an all B all group B three down England, U.S. and Wales. Um, Pick one of those teams. I think you want to put them in the three down. It doesn't even matter which one you pick. You're going to be right. So the fact that Iran had a good window and all three of the teams they are going to face had a terrible window, I think is massive for them. I would probably put the U.S. up at the number one slot in that window uh, for three down because of the fact that they didn't even score any goals. I think they managed either two or three uh, shots on goal in 180 minutes against two teams that they should have beaten. Um, so I, I want to put the U S there. I, you know, I'd like to put England there, but eh, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to put Mexico there as well. Mexico right now are in such disarray. You would have thought that some of that would stabilize, but it hasn't to the point where they're talking about sacking Tata Martino before the world cup. And, and I think I want to put France there as well, only because of the fact that France is going to face Denmark in this world cup after having lost to them twice. I think there are some concerns there. And for me, that's a big, that's a big thing because, You know, I I said four years ago, France is the one that's going to win the World Cup in this particular window. I thought, you know, four years ago that France would be the 2022 champions. I didn't think they'd win it in 2018. And this uh, this concerns me a little bit. So I I think uh, I think I want to put France there as third because they're going to have to um, have to get there. Roberto, I know you want to ask uh, who wins the World Cup. Are we are we already starting our prediction part of the program
2: as well i mean at the stage and i'll let ralph go first on this one right uh, right now yeah i'll Uh, I'll
0: go and ask no pressure right yeah so so so,
1: let's let's just say right now after this international window you know what roberto's proposing that we ask every single guest from here to the world cup who's going to win it and i and i'm and i'm on board i'm not going to give my answer yet because i'm the host and i'm allowed to do that but um But Ralph, yeah, let's let's get a prediction from you. After what we've seen in the international window, who wins the World Cup?
0: This is really hard because from what we've seen, I would lean towards Brazil or Argentina.
1: Mm. But from
0: what I know, in terms of European sides, often seem to find find a way when it matters. Then, then I wonder if France or Spain. Oh, yeah, this is really hard. Okay. So I have to choose one, I guess. Yeah, Just one.
1: one right now on September the, 29th. There are Lose no the Yeah, Cup. there are no wrong answers here.
0: <laughs> I'm going to say Argentina will win it and oh. it will be like a messy spectacle in yeah. Qatar. I
1: was I was just going to say, you know, and I'm again, I'm not making a prediction, but wouldn't it be amazing at you know, in December if either the Dutch or Lionel Messi were holding that trophy? Um I think that would be something spectacular. I think those two teams would probably be the biggest rooting interests uh of of favorites uh around the world don't you think yeah well brazil it. as well brazil always very popular anywhere yeah as well but they're they're multi champions they've won it so yeah, many but they've, times. They've,
2: they've, yeah they've gone twenty years though without winning it
1: oh, argentina have gone almost forty you know think about that and, and the Dutch never Johan yeah, Cruyff just, all the greats yeah. you know Gulitz van Basten, and not a, if it was up to
2: Ralph, he he'd, he'd go for England. Well, it's been yeah, sixty-six. 60. Sure. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Sure, sure, but sure, even, sure. even longer. But but I can't I I can't feel that it's is their time, not the way they're they're playing. Right. I think their chance was the Euros.
1: Yeah, I think so too. Well, it's not going to be Italy. So, um, Ralph, I I want to thank you for joining us on the show. Um, all the best to you and the family, and uh, and we always look forward to having you on the show, my friend.
0: All right, thanks guys. Thanks for the invite. Happy to to be on here and share some share some thoughts with you guys.
1: And special thanks again to Ralph Hanna for joining us on the show, Roberto. We um I know we're doing this show at a at a different time, so we're going to give you matches for this weekend to to prep you for it. So let's jump right into it. And Saturday nine thirty a.m. We're going to run you right off to the Bundesliga, where first place Union Berlin will tra- travel to Eintracht Frankfurt. Uh, in their match in the Bundesliga. That'll kick us off for the weekend. Then at noon, uh, the big one in Italy is going to be Inter Roma at noon, uh, followed by Sevilla Atleti uh, in uh, in Spain at 12.30 p.m. Then we'll go to Sunday, the Manchester Derby. Will Manchester be red? Probably going to be blue. Manchester City host Manchester United at 9 a.m. Then we'll go to France for Lens and Lyon at 2.45 p.m. And we're going to close out the weekend with... With Portland and LAFC as they start to head to the finish for the MLS uh, for the MLS season, currently LAFC and the Philadelphia Union tied on points for the Supporters Shield title. In that one, we're going to fast forward you to Tuesday, where we're going to give you Inter and Barca at 3 p.m. in the Champions League, and followed by on Wednesday by Chelsea and AC Milan in the Champions League as well. And then we'll, uh, we'll return next weekend again for more. So, Mr. Rojas, you gave me a great trivia question at the beginning of the show. Why don't you repeat it for the listeners?
2: Absolutely. So, there will be, as, as hard as, a, as it is to pick World Cup winners, and you know I think we're still going to be scrambling our brains and, and figuring out who do you think is going to win it, I can't imagine these managers being in the, in the spot to pick the players that they have to choose of their opportunity of a lifetime. So having said that, there have been some managers who have been in this World Cup beforehand and were going to be uh, managing at the 2000, uh, 2022 World Cup mm-hmm. who have had the fortune of playing in it as well. Can you name the number of managers who previously have played in a World Cup?
1: So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just look through the groups really quick just to kind of see if I can remember exactly who's managing the teams. Um, I gave you a right i, I am am is an easy one Deschamps is another yeah. one, so I know I've got two um you know i'm I'm thinking there's one there there's three uh we're gonna go with um let's see four um i'm just like again i'm 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 looking through very quickly five uh I don't think he played in the world cup um I don't think he played in the world cup um six um Let's see just for laughs. Cause maybe I missed one. I'm going to give you a number of seven. Uh, higher. It's higher. Okay. Uh, it's then higher. let's go nine. I don't think it's much higher than that. Is that your final answer? That's my final answer. 10, 10. Oh, you know, I'm and again, I counted through, um, I went with, and I can't think, uh, I don't know why his name is escaping me right now, but the manager at Senegal, I think he played in the world cup. um, I will give know. you the list as well. Sure. I'll, I can give you the I'll list. Go for it. Let's do it.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, yep, 10 different managers and yes, the first one that isn't a part of this list is Elio Cissé played Cicic. at the 2002 yeah. World Cup for Senegal
1: mm-hmm.
2: as managing Senegal. The second one on the list is Gareth Southgate, played in two World Cups, 98 yes. and 2002 for England. Greg Herperhalter played in two World Cups of the United States. Lionel Scaloni played in 2006, actually was a teammate of Lionel Messi, ironically enough. Yep. Um, that's how far back and how young he is as well. Played for Argentina. Uh, DJ Dechamps, of course, won the World Cup as a uh, as a player, was the captain of the 98 team and did it as a manager. Yep. Luis Enrique played in a couple World Cups as had well that, Had Spain. that one too,
1: yeah.
2: Yep. yep. Rigobert Song played in three World uh, is it three? I think it's four, sorry, four World Cups for Cameroon okay the manager of cameroon at this moment uh dragan stokovic managed is uh, the manager of serbia but played in a couple world cups for yugoslavia uh, as well so that counts i for missed him. that one yep yep Pablo bento didn't play for obviously didn't play for south korea uh, but did play for portugal at a world cup as well I in 2002 and the last one otto addo the manager of ghana played for <sighs> ghana in the 2006 world cup missed so that 10 one. managers on this world cup uh that in this world cup have previously played those are the ones the i missed world those
1: cup. those last three were the ones that i missed and that was it I, I i went through and i'm i'm scanning 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 and those are the last three i missed so uh fantastic fantastic question and a great way to kick off really what becomes the world cup season right at this point so yeah
2: definitely all, i'm excited
1: all right so without further ado let's hit the closing music yep all right here we go so, for episode 368 of Low Limit Football, special thanks again to Ralph Hanna for joining us on the show. Next week, we will give you an update on all the teams uh, as they get back to their inter- uh, from their international breaks and into their club competitions, including the Champions League as well. So, for episode 368 of Low Limit Football, I'm Joe Ucello. I'm Roberto Rojas. Thanks for listening, everyone, and good night.